This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today we've got a great guest on the show, Dan Walschmidt. Dan's written a great book called Edgy Conversations, How Ordinary People Can Achieve Outrageous Success. Typically we'll find Dan working with billion-dollar clients, but today he's really going to share with us kind of the concept of edgy conversations and a little bit more about what he does with these major organizations that really seek him out to help them improve their bottom line and their corporate culture. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Delighted to talk to you a little bit more about uh, what we've learned. Great. So I guess maybe it would only be fair to kind of give a little background to uh, our audience and our listeners, kind of how you and I got introduced. Um, I think, you know, sort of unofficially, it would be Twitter. Um, I know I followed yeah. you on Twitter at one point and, or vice versa. But we're also part of a, a group of authors, um, which I think we loosely call the, the sales tribe, <laughs> uh, authors who work with sales organizations who kind of support each other, review each other's books, um, share each other's content, and uh, once in a while, uh, you know, give each other some, some well-needed feedback as well. <laughs> so that's kind of what we do. And, and that's, I guess we've been now connected uh, loosely for probably, I don't know, at least three, four years, eh? Yeah, it feels like that. Yeah, three or four years. Yeah, in fact, perhaps I think it was even as far back as as your uh, book about uh, guerrilla marketing. I yeah, think that so was when the, I, I I saw it, I read it, I thought, who is this guy? Let me dig a little deeper. We had a conversation or two, and that kind of stuck in the back of my head. Yeah, so we're we're pushing five years now. Uh, I guess uh, October of 2010 is when guerrilla social media marketing came out that uh, the late Jay Levinson and I uh, wrote together. So yeah, that's it's been a while. So let's, um, let's talk about uh, edgy conversations. I get this box sure. of awesome in the mail, and uh, I've actually posted a photo on the blog post that goes along with this uh, podcast. Uh, you can find it at closingbigger.net. And it's actually, I opened this box up, and, and of course, all these strange things always arrive at my office, a, a packaged office. So a couple months ago, I arrived, and my brother had mailed me an actual trojan helmet like not like a replica <laughs> not a loose replica like awesome. a strange helmet and i opened it up and of course the reception was looking at me and i assembled it and i i put it on my head which made me seven feet tall and then i proceeded to walk out the door to my next meetings and this time of course what arrives is this box of awesome and when i open it up uh, lo and behold there's this amazing set of boxing gloves from yourself and uh, very fitting for actually some of the business stuff I've been going through. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like That's I really right. did need boxing gloves that week. And, uh, and your book, Edgy Conversations, as well as this great notepad that sort of talks about three awesome things to do today, which is great because that's actually part of the process we use at Build Direct uh, is focusing on three major things per day. And then I picked up Edgy Conversations and, you know, within the first 10 pages, uh, I knew this was a book that was really different than any other book. And I don't want to kind of give up the, the plot line to, to your methodologies or, or why the beginning of the book is so powerful. Uh, but for me, it was just an awesome level of transparency. So maybe you can share with us what's, what's the core ethos or, or concept behind having edgy conversations and why is it so important to our success? Yeah, th thank, thanks for having me on to talk. And um, like I said, I'm always excited to chat. That first book you wrote, 
uh, with Jay was just amazing. I know you've done several others, but that it's kind of always that first way you you meet somebody where you're like, I'm going to get along with this person quite well. Um, and, and glad glad the boxing gloves and all it came through in one piece. Uh, we sent those out right as it was, you know, this winter has been uh, pretty uh, incredible with the amount of snow. And so it seemed like every time we were ready to go, someone's, something was getting delayed. So I'm actually glad they, they made it out in one piece. Um, edgy Conversations is the, is the result of four years worth of research for us, where we took a step back and looked at how ordinary people achieve outrageous success. In other words, if your name's not uh, Trump, or you don't have a degree from Harvard or Yale, how can you be successful? And, and it's kind of a broad, um, a broad look at success. It's not necessarily making money, although certainly that's success. Uh, it's not necessarily, hey, how to win elected office, although you could call that success. Some people, for being successful, is just being a great dad or being a good community person, being a leader at their church, let's say. There's a lot of ways people label success. We don't get into what you label success or how do you categorize. What we wanted to see was how do ordinary people, common Joes, um, uh, seize the moment and achieve success. And we looked in business, math, sports, science, and politics, a thousand people. We, we had interviews. Some people, of course, were, were no longer alive. So we had to uh, you know, research that are, uh, everything we could get on them, notes, so talk to friends. you researched or interviewed a thousand people who were successful, you know, really based upon many of them, I guess, their definition, but we would all externally look and say, hey, this person's successful. So you researched and interviewed over a thousand people to put this book together. That's right. That's right. Four years worth of work. So it felt like we were going crazy at a time. One, the hard task was in the book, of course, there's about 150 stories. Sometimes those stories are a single sentence. We summarize an entire life, you know, maybe 10 or 20 pages worth of notes into one sentence. <laughs> but uh, yes, it was a, th a thousand of them. And so we've got uh, wonderful resources for, I guess, telling the 800 plus other stories that didn't make it into the actual book. Fantastic. Fantastic. And what I like about it, as I, I've gone through the book, is the fact that, you know, and this kind of goes back to even successful salespeople. Um, we interviewed a lot of successful, successful salespeople for our, our book, Closing Bigger, that Trevor Green and I did together. And, and I was hoping for a silver bullet. And what I found was that successful salespeople did the basics we all talk about, but they were obsessed with them. Yes, and yeah. And I look at your your outline for success and maybe I won't just sort of and I look at even your chapter headings is, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, extreme behavior, disciplined activity, a giving mindset mindset and what you call uh, the why human strategy. And, and these are yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. These are the four components to putting it all together. Yeah, that's right. That that's really what we, we, we came we came away with almost four philosophies. Four attitudes, let's say. So uh, we were kind of shaken by that almost. Uh, it was kind of startling for us to realize that, yes, each of them did similar things, but really it was four common attitudes. And exactly as you said, they were extreme, disciplined, giving, and human. Of course, we spell human with a Y just because edge, huh, is not as cool as edgy. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, financial independence. We, st we think about uh, education, you know, and advanced education, following processes. All of those are important. All of those have an impact. But the attitudes that, that we have um, as achievers, attempting to be high achievers, has a really powerful impact 
on what we do. And, you know, we see this. You write books, you teach, you lecture, you know, you advise, um, you know, players on, on how to take their game to the next level. And um, you can see it. So you, you tell someone, go do this. And then they come back and say, oh, I tried that once. And you can tell just by the way their attitude is, it doesn't matter what tactics, what strategies. It doesn't matter if you walked them into the door to the client, sat them down, and gave them the pitch. They would still probably fail, even though they were doing all of the steps that you know lead to success. And it's because of that attitude shift. And so ordinary people who achieve outrageous success really have these extreme discipline giving and human attitudes that make them superstars over time. And it's an attitude and an energy that they carry with them versus going through the motions. And and that is how many times have we seen salespeople check off the box on the steps they went through with the sales process or entrepreneurs saying, look, I'm I'm following all the Rockefeller habits <laughs> and I'm doing this. Oh, that's right. But I, you know, that's what? right. That what they don't have is, is the attitudes and the energy behind it. And, and so I'd love to just kind of ask you, let's talk about extreme behavior. When you talk about extreme behavior, which is extreme effort, differentiation, dedication to learning, what does that extreme behavior look like in some of these success stories? If, if, if some of our listeners are listening saying, hey, do I have this extreme behavior or, or how do I create it? What are some examples or what is, what's the ethos behind it? So the extreme behavior was the number one um, attitude, philosophy, behavior that we observed in all of these people. Like it was the most prevalent, the most powerful, the most obvious, the most glaring, the most in-your-face um, uh, attitude that we saw of, of any of these. And it, it's by definition extreme. So you would hope it would stand out. If you're being extreme, you would hope that you know you would notice that right away. The, and the number one uh, type of extreme behavior was extreme effort. And quite seriously, Shane, the the ordinary people who achieved outrageous success by far significantly outworked their peers. As you just said a few minutes ago, when you were interviewing, interviewing people for Closing Bigger and you saw that those who were successful were maniacal about even, even simple concepts, but they were, uh, they were maniacal. Building. Build relationships. That's right. And they're that's right. Obsessed with the details of relationships and follow through and empathy and listening. That's right. I mean, just incredible right. masters. And, and their peers, their peers always have good excuses, even good reasons. Someone asked me the other day on, on, a, on a radio show, well, what if they're not excuses? What if they're really reasons? And I said, does it really matter? The, the problem probably still exists whether you have a legitimate reason or a bad excuse, you still have a problem. And uh, I think that's, that's the difference is that uh, we, 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 there is a generation of professional salespeople who are sophisticated enough to, uh, to, to know that, you know, that kind of the silly, uh, ABC always be closing sort of thing that's outdated. They need something new. And so they'll pay homage, intellectual homage to all these new, these new ideas and philosophies. Oh, we need to be social. We need to use cool tools. We need to do all this stuff. And then you'll tell them, what are you really doing? And they're not doing any of it. None of it long enough to it works. And the secret to extreme behavior is that you have to do the right thing long enough. And if you do the right thing long enough, uh, then it works. But um, you, you can't just say I did something once or twice. You have to do it until it works. One of the best examples of this is, 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 a, is a common story, um, or a story that's, that we all know about Harlan Sanders. Harlan Sanders, uh, most of us know, started Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, a few of us have heard the story that Harlan Sanders 
shopped his recipe over 1,200 times until he would find an investor who would, uh, who would um, uh, take a chance on Harlan Sanders. And Absolutely. so people say, okay, well, yeah, that's pretty good. Most people don't know. That that whole story, Harlan Sanders, that story that we know, that billion-dollar franchise that Pepsi-Cola paid for, that started when Harlan was 65. When he was 65, the state of Kentucky decided to change where the interstate was, uh, was routed through Kentucky, and they decided to change it. And so he had a restaurant at the end of a road that was closed. And his restaurant went bankrupt. And it was holding, he couldn't pay the rent on his restaurant, so he, he closed it down. And he had a three-by-five card that had a recipe on it for fried chicken. That's the reason why the locals came to his restaurant. At 65, he had nothing, and he started over. And that's pretty extreme when you consider that he started at 65 and shopped that sucker 1,200 times before someone would believe on an old, old man and, and we wonder why he was so obstinate and so tough as he realized the secret to success is that anyone at any age can do this. You just got to be tough enough and work hard enough, work long enough, and success is yours. Of course, he's got a billion-dollar company. And if you've seen Harlan, you know, of course, he's passed away now, but he would be on interviews well into his 90s. Fantastic. And that is, that's an incredible, perfect example of doing the right thing long enough. And, That's right. and I think that, you know, what what he did before and after he went bankrupt was the same right thing, which was really never giving up and, That's right. and, and understanding what he was doing was the right thing. And I think, you know, for me, I often joke that the, the wrong thing almost always has immediate benefits to it. <laughs> that, oh, no, you're no, you're you're exactly right. You're exactly. It feels like the wrong thing always feels like the right thing in the moment until you look back on it and go, ah, man. You know, that, that, that stinks. The good news about effort, though, is it's the great equalizer. We kind of make that statement in the book. Effort is a great – if you want to be on par with that guy with a Harvard degree, if you feel like, man, I'm looking around and that sales rep, she is very good looking. People meet with her just because she has better looks than I do. Or this guy's got so much experience. He's been here for 10 years. I've been here for one year. Or this senior executive has a, you know, an MBA from Harvard and mine's from my community college. You know, and, and I, I just feel like I, you know, they're in a whole different league than me. The one clear way to, to level the playing field is through effort. And there's a lot of talk nowadays about you need to work smarter. And yes, of course you do. No one needs to be dumb. Being dumb doesn't win you any awards. <laughs> but the reality is you don't get a medal for working smarter. You get a medal for working harder. Yeah. Whether it's the Olympics, whether it's running for office, or whether it's getting promoted or getting a your first job, it's all about working harder. No one gives you a prize for working smarter. Absolutely. Absolutely. So extreme behavior and now disciplined activity. So the next kind of um, key tenet in your book for success talks about disciplined activity. So the discipline of doing, the discipline of denying. Yeah. And I want to hear about denying. Um, yeah. There's, there's a big culture uh, within uh, Build Direct. As you know, I'm a sales trainer at Build Direct. And, and there's a big culture around Build Direct, around growing, rapidly scaling a company is about subtraction, not addition. <laughs> uh, and it's about saying no to a whole bunch of things. So I want to kind of hear your angle on the discipline of denying. And the, dis and the yeah. discipline starts with a plan, and I want to hear about that plan as well. I mean, I know I'm kind of laying this out for you. I'm not asking you to give us you know, the whole No, book, it's brilliant. But, it's brilliant. What's disciplined activity? Let's talk about the importance of this. Yeah, thank you. And it's obvious you've read this, which is awesome. <laughs> you, you could, as a sales trainer, you're a guy who digests, interprets, and then figures out how to explain it. So I love it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, 
a disciplined activity, of course, if you can't do something, then you don't deserve to be in the game at all. In fact, it's not even about you deserving to be in the game. You're not in the game at all, whether you say you are or not. If you can't do, then life is really damn hard for you if you can't do something. Uh, but so most of us would say as sales, especially as high achievers, I know you've accomplished a lot, Shane. You've sold you know, uh, lots and lots of books. You, you've spoken all over the world. You're recognized as a leader in these things, uh, sales and, and marketing and, and strategy. And uh, you, you've done a lot. And what's hard for us as people, maybe I'm just kind of uh, confessing to my own weaknesses, is denying. And what happens when you don't deny is that you build up this baggage over time. You know, personally, uh, if you can't say no to yourself and you have to have seven cars and 13 vacations a year and, and a $300 a month cable bill because you have to have all channels and to be able to record seven channels at the same time for shows you're never going to watch anyway. So if you have to have all of that stuff each month, what happens is you're so tightly wound, so com- you know your finances are a mess, and then when an opportunity comes up that you could have taken uh, advantage of, you, you, you're no longer in the, uh, in the window of availability to, to do that. Oh. So what happens is in order person sees an opportunity and an extraordinary person who's been disciplined, right? He's not spent money on things he doesn't need. They both see the same opportunity. It's not like the opportunity only came to one. It came to everybody. But only, there's one out of 10 who, who, who was that disciplined and denied themselves and said, no, I don't need that. No, I don't need that. No. And the opportunity came and they said, I'm going to do that. And the other nine said, well, I had that idea too. I thought of that too, <laughs> and the reality is because they haven't been denying themselves, they're now stuck. And it's amazing because sometimes in business uh, or in other parts of life, it's not denying the financial stuff; it's denying our impulses. Um, I love to go to the pub yes. and have a pint. Uh, you might have seen a few photos on Facebook, and you know it's actually denying yourself the ability to go out during the week and do something like that to save your energy. So when there's huge business opportunities, you can sprint. You can put your energy into yes. it. You can focus. So I think yep. too often we, we squander our health from, a, from a, that perspective, and we're not actually physically even capable of driving a hard and awesome Well, you've said it. You've said it, Shane, and there's, that's right. That's right. Physically fit, f- physically fit, financially fit, and mentally fit. If you, can, if, you can, if you can deny yourself and stay in shape physically, financially, and mentally, then, then, then I think you're well on your way of being able to seize the moment when it pops up. You've nailed it. I mean, look. Frankly, business is hard work. As you said, man, sometimes you just want to grab a beer and forget about everything. And sometimes you got to say, no, I got, I got to focus on this. I, I, I want to just go and have a good time. But unfortunately, I need to focus for a little bit longer and get some things done. It's all too easy. We, you know, we make a silly reference in the book. It's all too easy to kind of just say, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. If you work one extra hour a day for a year, you've now worked 13 months while everyone around you has worked 12. And I'm not saying... You know, that you go out and work 10 extra hours a day since you've worked, you know, an extra year. That, that, that gets a little silly. Um, but just there's but some simple things that over time. One extra hour a day, and that's, that's massive. You know, and that's, that's yeah, actually that's right. getting to the office at, at 7.30 instead of 8, and then going home yeah. at 5.30 instead of 5. It's just, you know, for most yes. people, they won't even feel that. It's the small things that build up over time, and that's by de- that's really the definition of discipline, right? Isn't it? That's, it's just the small things you do consistently. You know, there's such amazing technology available now to remind us to follow up with people, follow through with people, reminders, alerts, alarms to tell us, hey, make sure you do this thing. Make yeah. sure you finish this. And so there's, it's, it's, it's amazing now how many opportunities there are to do more. 
Absolutely. To do a better job. So, Dan, do we really need a plan? I mean, if you're if you've got the great behavior and you're disciplined and you're giving and you've got that why human strategy. I know one of the things you talked about on discipline activity is having a plan, but things change so quickly nowadays. Some people are saying that plans are out of date. <laughs> What's your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, you you know, look, you know, the plan could be I want to I want to go this direction, and so you go that direction. It may not be I'm going to graduate uh, from X university and go to to Y graduate school, and then I'm going to get a job in Z and work there for 35 years. That sort of plan may not work, but you might have a plan to change the world, and you might have a chance uh, a plan to uh, to give back. Right. And so those are things you can you, you can execute regardless of where you're located or where you go to college. Uh, the, those sort of plans are invaluable. If you don't know where you're going, you're probably not going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Giving. Um, the more you give, the more you get. Um, that's one of right. my favorite quotes from a good mentor and friend of mine, Fred Shadian. And uh, maybe he quoting someone else. I can't remember, but I love it. <laughs> and I, I yeah, no, up. I this, mean, this resonated with me big time. So, what what role does was giving and, and gratitude um, have in in helping you drive success, no matter what you do? Well, giving giving giving's transformational. Giving, I mean, really, it's transformational. It's transformational for the person who receives. It's it's even more transformational for the person giving. Uh, think about Christmas, you know, and you, you think of someone you're like, man, Shane's really gonna like this, right? He's he's really gonna like this. I can't wait to. Uh, I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna send it to him. He's gonna smile when he opens it. And you might not even be there, you know. I might not even be there when you open that package, right? But I'm like, yeah, he's gonna. I, I get satisfaction, I get joy out of knowing that uh, that that it makes, it makes you happy, and uh, it, it it actually brightens my mood as well. Uh, that's what giving does for us. It's 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 a tremendous weapon, um, and and just keeping your head straight, seeing the 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 obstacles in the road. Uh, as uh, not obstacles, but as opportunities. You know, it's like that story of uh, that legend of the two sales guys who go to Africa and uh, they, they radio home. One radios home and says, horrible opportunity to sell shoes. No one, no one wears them, right? <laughs> horrible. And the other guy, the other guy radios home and says, send everything you got. Everybody needs them. <laughs> Absolutely. And and, and I think that's what giving does for us is it is it is it we usually all see the same thing, but how we see it is different. And when you're grateful, when you give, it opens up so many uh, uh, opportunities for us. For instance, let's say I give you time. I'm busy. I'm running around. There's something that happens inside of me where when I give you time, my brain says, well, if you're giving your time to help somebody else, you must not be as crazy and stressed out as you think you are. And actually, uh, our the neuroscientist that we spoke to said that you actually feel more relaxed. You actually feel better when, when you're busy by spending time helping others briefly. Not as a procrastination tactic, but really genuinely finding someone who you can help quickly, whether it's smiling at someone for 10 seconds, you know, whether it's looking someone in the eye. It's amazing the small details in giving. We're happy as small business owners to write a check for $200 to you know, Girl Scouts for cookies to keep them happy. We're willing to give that, but we're not willing to give a firm handshake. We're not willing to give looking someone in the eye for an extra second and saying, thank you for coming into my store. It's been good to do business with you. It's really weird the stuff that, we're, that we say we're givers, but we're not. And when you do give, it's transformational for your entire business. Costco, FedEx, UPS, 
Zappos, um, company after company who gives exponentially outgrows their competitors in their industry. It's not even close. Awesome. So human strategy. Let's talk about the human strategy. So we're, we've got extreme behavior. We've got disciplined activity. We're, we're definitely giving and contributing and our tent is in the right place. Um, let's talk about when we talk about having a human strategy. What, is that, what does that mean? Well, human strategy is, is important because all the ordinary people who achieved outrageous success uh, showed these signs of understanding how humans think and act and feel, and that they weren't so focused on the intellectual parts of life. And, and they, they didn't base everything off of spreadsheets, right, in, in an academic sense. They understood that, you know, things aren't always what they seem, that while people are happy on the outside, they might be hurting on the inside. And for instance, specifically in sales, if you're in sales, that just because someone doesn't return your email or someone doesn't follow up with you right away doesn't mean necessarily that they're not interested. It might just mean that they're really, really busy. In fact, it's not so much might. It usually always is that they're really busy, right? It's not the fact that you're a horrible person and don't have great skills. It's the fact that they're just busy. And so I think uh, time after time, this is a lesson to me uh, in, in negotiating and, and, and building relationships and following up with people is that um, people are illogical. <laughs> That's probably the nicest way to say it, right? We're, we're crazy sometimes. And, and uh, we're, we do a really good job of pretending like everything's okay when it's not. And that's good because you don't want everybody sobbing on your front doorstep. But, but some of that uh, makes us uh, uh, less than, than, than opportune to go out and, and, and work with other people. Sometimes I'll joke with CEOs and say business would be easy if it weren't for people, right? <laughs> Why? Because we're as people, we're really complex. And so ordinary people understand the power of pain and fear and loss and how that those things trigger us to act in ways that aren't always logical. But what's logical about that logic is we're all wired the same way. So if you can look beyond what people do on the outside, if you can look beyond how people behave on the outside or pretend to be on the outside, you'll actually be much more effective in getting what you want done. And this isn't so much about diplomacy. It's just about playing the long game. It's about playing the long game. As you said, sometimes what's easy, telling someone, hey, screw off or oh, forget you, I'm going to go do the next, that, that's, that's the wrong thing and it feels right at the moment. But yes. Over the long run, uh, understanding pain and fear and loss and how humans act, uh, it just makes you so much better qualified. Absolutely. So we also talk about uh, this last piece here, um, the power of love. And yeah. you know, a really interesting thing for, uh, you know, we, we always look at, uh, not we, maybe me, or maybe I grew up in the, in the, in the, the era of, you know, Jim Rohn and, and the, the early Tony Robbins and the Go Close and Brian Tracy's and, uh, and all these sort of uh, the Warren Bennis's of the world, which were these sort of like a rock leaders. And I don't yeah. remember any of them ever talking about love. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and so what is, what, is, what, what, what does that bring as an element into our success? Well, we, we don't often under we, we often downplay. You're right because there is a lot of machismo uh, in in business um, and in life. It's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give an inch, 
And uh, I'm not going to make a mistake. And even if I do make a mistake, I'm going to take seven years to admit it and all of that good stuff. You know, I'm going to be untouchable as a leader. What we what we learned in looking at these ordinary people that it wasn't so much about being savvy. You know what they were really good at? Healing, healing. You know what's interesting about being sick or across the board, no matter how sick you are, when you're sick, whether it's a common cold or whether it's like Steve Jobs suffering from, from, from a very harsh cancer, you will do just about anything to be healed, mm-hmm. to be well, to feel better. You will pay almost any monies that you have, right? You don't argue over lowest price. <laughs> you pay whatever you have to feel better, right? It doesn't matter, you know, if you go to the store and you're like, man, why don't they have a, a store brand Sudafed or, you know, store brand uh, Dayquil? I don't, and, uh, who cares? Let me just get the, 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 the expensive kind. I need to feel better. It doesn't matter how much it costs. I just need to feel better. Uh, we'll do just about anything to feel better. And ordinary people who achieve outrageous success focus on being here. Healers. And uh, the, pretty much the best way to heal is by giving love to other people. So the old tactic of selling fear doesn't work. The only tactic of I'm going to be consultative and dig into your pain. And once you have enough pain, then you're going to buy my solution. That doesn't work because people already have enough pain. It's already in their face. You don't need to dig for it. And fear isn't going to sell them anything because they're already freaked out of their minds. They're paralyzed. They're not going to buy then. So what, what, what's the opposite of that? What unveils that? Is it logic? No, because when people are fearful and in pain, they're not logical, right? So the only thing that really works is love. The only thing that heals those men, those, uh, those uh, broken men's are, are, is love. And, you know, the, the, when people are um, in a lot of pain and, and freaked out, the one they look to is a healer. And in any society, any society, cultured or primal, uh, doesn't matter, uh, the healer in any civilization, any culture, is the, the most powerful person in that culture because he makes them whole again. And that's the power of love because sometimes a simple smile, a simple going out of your way is all that it takes to make someone feel better. That's the power of love is that you can't out-jockey someone. You can't out-manipulate them. You can't out-strategize them. But when you love them, all the shields come down, all the defenses come down, and people want to do business with someone who loves them. Absolutely. So we put this all together. We've got extreme behavior, disciplined activity, a giving mindset, and that human strategy, which is really understanding what makes people tick and and moving the path of of love and contribution um, versus, like you said, oat maneuvering or oat jockeying people. And I just have one more question for you, Dan, and this is a bit off topic. Can I kind of throw it at you? Sure, sure. Here's a question, because uh, I think this is something that I thought about the first time we talked, is pretty well almost every one of your clients, and maybe everyone without exception, um, is a multi-billion dollar company. Um, how the heck do I get multi-billion dollar clients on a consistent basis? What's your secret? Is this the secret? Is this our, our four steps to doing this? Or is there something else uh, that you'd be willing to share with us? Well, I would tell you this, is that almost no one calls us the first time around. And that's interesting. I've real. This is where I've embraced the role as healer. You know, it's much easier to use like a McKenzie. We we often follow behind a McKenzie or a Boston Consulting or a Bain Consulting. You know, it seems like uh, as CEOs and leaders, almost in every case, 
um, the leader has tried two or other thing, two or three other things. They've tried, um, you know, better. You know, let, let let's try, you know, putting the pieces back together on on a sales team. Let's try to expand our marketing reach. Let's try to open up new offices, shut new offices. Let's try all of these things. And then someone says to them, "Have you heard about this guy named Dan? He runs this company uh, in twelve countries." 30 verticals, you know, and they're, they have this new way of thinking. And finally, someone who's in a lot of pain says, I'll take a look at that. I've got nothing to lose. And many times the results they see uh, are just unparalleled. One of our clients, of course, very massive medical devices company, in 90 days saw a 5,200% increase in the engagement they had with doctors. Fantastic. And why? It was applying edgy. It was about loving people instead of trying to shove more information down their throat. And so this isn't just stuff that make you feel good. It's not touchy-feely. Let's all go to church, stand in a circle, and sing Kumbaya. <laughs> it's not silliness like that. It actually works uh, transformationally when it comes to making more money. Fantastic. So these guys, are they typically finding you? Is it through your thought leadership and the work you're doing in other places, just doing good work? Um, is that what's kind of making you a magnet for these large corporations or, or is there, is there a particular type of networking, connecting? Um, what is no. it? We're great. We're, we're pretty much hermits. We're pretty much hermits. I wish I could give you a more sophisticated answer. You know, we don't do any advertising at all. We don't do, uh, you know, any networking really at all. Uh, I'm not really a big handshaker. Um, I speak maybe 10 times a year. Um, I, so I'm not on the road every day. Uh, we write four to five times a, uh, a day. Uh, I do. I write all those articles myself on our site. I write on Business Insider. Uh, and it's interesting. You know, some of my articles on Business Insider get millions of views. One, one article I wrote called You Have to Do the Hard Things uh, had, uh, I think, between 9 and 10 million views and uh, was in Vanity Fair and Yahoo and all over the place, front page of Yahoo. Um, and I, what's interesting, here's what's interesting, Shane, is that an article about working hard is actually thought of as thought leadership. Isn't that startling? <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty awesome, actually. And, and that, uh, that really, you know, people keep wondering if they're, if they're, as you said, you know, they're smart enough uh, and tricky enough and if they have the best strategy to get there and yet people are looking for simple messages like that just people just aren't speaking them so that's, that's right that's right so uh, you know I, yeah. I that's great to hear i i think that's amazing that again no silver bullet is it uh work hard and be disciplined with the fundamentals of of even thought leadership which is really what you guys have been doing so yeah that's right that's right so where do so I've, we've been talking about this book edgy conversations um, obviously, people can go. Um, you know how to how ordinary people can achieve outrageous success. Uh, people can go on to Amazon.com and pick it up. Uh, they can also visit your your website, EdgyConversations.com, to pick the book up and learn more as well, can't they? Is uh, if you're not following Dan already on Twitter, I would strongly suggest to do so. That's at Dan Waldo uh, on Twitter at Dan Waldo, uh, short of course for Walt Schmidt. And uh, is there anywhere else that people need to connect with you, find you, learn more about you, dig into your thought leadership? 
No, that's, that, that's it. Those are perfect. Uh, if you go to edgyconversations.com, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, you can download the first few chapters of the book. Of course, see if it's something that, uh, that they'll like. As you mentioned, within the first 10 pages, 11 pages, you are enjoying it. And uh, we hope that the, the others will be gripped and captivated and go, man, I want to I wanna be transformational like the 150-plus stories that are in this, in this, in this, in this book. Uh, and everything else we everything else we do is free. So I always tell that to people. There's no, <laughs> you're not going to be signed up for any uh, DVD series, CD series, mentoring, coaching, training. I have a lot of fabulous friends like you and others who do this work, and I'm happy to refer all those people back to you and say, go find a coach. If you don't have a coach, by the way, uh, it's appalling. You got to go check your head because uh, you need one. We all need one. I have them. I pay them. I don't have it all figured out. You need one. Uh, and 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 in and this discussion about edgy conversations, if you're trying to figure out where it fits in, let me summarize it for you. There's books about skill. You've written several of those. They're yes. amazing. This is not a book about skill. It's a book about will. So when you grab my book about will on Amazon, think about two or three other skills you need to be reading alongside edgy conversations. Fantastic. Well, Dan, hey, thanks a lot for coming on board today, and I'm hoping we'll be able to do another podcast again uh, in the near future. Uh, Again, uh, this is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. If you need to connect with me, the best way to do it is to tweet me at Shane Gibson or email me, Shane at ShaneGibson.com. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you.